RX. This podcast contains language that may be inappropriate for some listeners. I'm Kurt Anderson, and this is the Studio 360 Podcast. In 1982, when David Milch, age 37, was teaching literature at Yale, he wrote a spec script for a TV series, sent it to Hollywood, a police show called Hill Street Blues. It sold right away, and Milch promptly abandoned academia for show business. He went on to create NYPD Blue, and one of my favorite shows ever, Deadwood on HBO. He had me at the setting. Some of my earliest memories are from summer vacations in the Black Hills in South Dakota and hanging out in the real-life town of Deadwood. The TV series is set in the 1870s during the gold rush that centered on Deadwood and conjured that violent, body, anarchic place with what I take to be deep truthfulness. Away from your seconds view, the captain's pistol is trained at your head. Do you believe yourself enough and adept, Mr. Swearingen, to overcome your disadvantage, or will you walk with us inside? The show was abruptly canceled in 2006 after its third season. Milch developed a couple of short-lived shows for HBO, John from Cincinnati and Luck, and co-wrote an episode of True Detective. Deadwood is his masterwork, which finally, 13 years later, has an ending. The two-hour Deadwood, the movie, just premiered on HBO. Oh, Jesus, just shoot me, Doc. <laughs> Name the day of the week, Al. What difference does the day make? I'd have you but say the name. Tuesday, then, you half a scarecrow-looking cocksucker. Friday it is. Oh. Mistaken Friday for Tuesday will secure my burial plot. It was a dark, bittersweet finale for a dark, bittersweet series. The most compelling character in the show, Ian McShane's Al Swearingen, is dying. Milch himself has Alzheimer's and, for a recent New Yorker story, talked very openly about coping with dementia while making the last Deadwood film. I wanted to commemorate Deadwood the movie by revisiting a a delightful conversation I had with Milch. It was back in 2006, just as the third and final season of the show was beginning. David Milch, welcome to Studio 360. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So you began your professional life as an academic, a very respectable academic at a very respectable place in teaching English. Was switching to screenwriting in your 30s uh, as as easy as my introduction made it sound? Well, you, you know, you bring to mind uh, the end of uh, The Sun Also Rises, you know, Hemingway's uh, first novel. Wouldn't where, it be pretty to think so? Uh, isn't, it, isn't it pretty to think so, yeah. Uh, I, I, I wasn't very respectable, and I wasn't very respected, and uh, I wasn't making any money, and uh, so I was looking for work. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, that's how that happened. And... and uh, my sponsor and mentor, uh, Robert Penn Warren, um, who was himself not a PhD, uh, had sort of championed me as a teacher there, and uh, all the regular teachers uh, 
uh, resented it. And really? Like that. So I wasn't going anywhere <laughs> at, at Yale. Yeah. So your specialty, you got hired by uh, Hill Street Blues, and, and then you became a specialist in police dramas, really, uh, and made some excellent ones, including NYPD Blue. How did you end up with uh, Deadwood in the Old West? Well, uh, it, it seemed to me that it was sort of a continuation of, of, of the themes that had engaged my imagination in writing about the cops. Uh-huh. Uh, the truth about police work, in my experience, having been uh, many times arrested, among other things, is you know <laughs> that the law has very little to do with it. I remember when I was uh, researching NYPD Blue, and what every cop would say to me is, please, please don't show us giving Miranda. We never give Miranda. (laughs) Any cop who gives a suspect his Miranda rights is an idiot because once they get a lawyer, you can't talk to them no more. So what always happens is, you know, you do what you have to do to get the information you need. And then afterwards, you say to him, listen to me, Uh, you want me to be your adversary? You want this to be adversarial between us? Knowing what I now know about you, you want me to be your enemy? All right, then you sign that I gave you your Miranda, and we'll put that it was like 9.15. The guy says, but it's 4.30 in the afternoon. What? You want me to be your adversary? I will beat you till you beg to die. So that that's how Miranda gets administered. So, so, so you, in your view, the 1876 Deadwood probably wasn't so different from 1986 uh, Brooklyn. Well, I, I, you know, the one thing that the modern show did was explore the tensions of the necessary hypocrisies uh-huh. and mendacity that a cop lives every day. And the and, attempts and, at having to be fair, the attempts to have some template of civil liberties. I, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I mean, that isn't something that cops really think about too yeah. much. But, yeah. but, but, you know, uh, that was more Hill Street before I got. I remember uh-huh. when I got to Hill Street, they had, you know, the, the turnout sergeant always used to say, uh, hey, 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 let's be careful out there. Hey. Let's be careful out there. And I, I changed that to let's do it to them before they do it to us. <laughs> the people who, who love Deadwood really love it. I, I, I understand why I do, partly because as a little kid, I used to go to Deadwood for vacations every year and go see the graves of Wild Bill and Calamity Jane. Oh, good for you. But why do you think the people who, who have formed this cult of adoration around it are responding so strongly to it? Because I think uh, the human heart yearns to be lifted up. And uh, uh, what lifts us up with less excess weight and baggage, better than anything else, is a story about our brothers and sisters. And uh, Even if they're, is, if they're swearing, uh, sexually reprobate, cynical, greedy, violent brothers see, and sisters? To me, to, me, to me, those distinctions are all the excess weight. The truth is, I've never heard of a crime I couldn't commit. And I've never heard of a sexual aberration that uh, the gymnastics of which I couldn't work out given, <laughs> say, six or seven minutes. So I, I don't think that... Uh, that and, and Deadwood was the perfect venue for the story because it was deep into the Industrial Revolution, and yet it was the reenactment of original sin. Uh-huh. And, and reenactment of the untamed frontier of America, which at that well, point the, the was original over. Sin, yeah. Yeah, the original sin is the taking of, that of something land. from someone else. Yeah. And uh, by portraying someone that the audience took to be a villain, 
and who who had every sort of character defect, profanity, was a pimp, and so on, to show him as what Henry James called that obstinate finality, a human being. We'll have more of my interview with David Milch in a minute. And I'd like to remind you to follow us on Twitter, at Studio360Show. And now, back to my conversation with David Milch. Much has been said and written about the language, which for those who haven't heard it more than the clips we've played, extraordinary mix of this antique, florid 19th century declamations interwoven with filthy, nonstop profanity. Uh, do you care one way or the other on about how historically accurate the language or anything else that you've depicted here is? Well, you know, I try to be responsible in the sense that, uh, you know, I did a lot of research and, and uh, there there's something called the uh, the memory project of the U.S. Congress where and and they recorded people who had been alive during that time as they were dying off in the 30s. Mm -hmm. You know, it was part of the WPA or whatever mm -hmm. the hell it was. Anyway, everyone without exception said that in the mining camps, the language was of an unrelieved coarseness and obscenity. Now, the specific words weren't documented, right. but uh, then for secondary materials, I looked in particular at Mencken's uh, wonderful book, The American Language, yes. in which he explored specifically what it was that, as people moved west, prompted them to regress to the use of profanity and, uh -huh. and obscenity. And it, it had to do with... Uh, an effort to express immediately, verbally, what the political situation was, which is there's no rules out here. There are no rules out here. Do not expect to be treated with a complicated civility. If you fuck with me, I'm going to fuck with you. Uh, if you look at the first uh, scene that's set in Deadwood in the first episode of the first season, um, you see gold being weighed out. Eight ounces of gold. You see a guy taking a drink. You see women who are uh, uh, available as sexual objects. And you hear obscenity. And those are expressions in the absence of law around which we begin to organize ourselves. What about the other part of the language, which is to say this oratund uh, style that many of now, the characters. I gotta say, have... Oratund has a bit of a negative. I don't uh, mean it. No, no. There. Well, I'm sorry. I don't mean it negatively at all. I I love it, all and right. it's, and to me, it's all like right. it's like sitting down to watch Shakespeare. It takes a few seconds to fully get into the slipstream of how they're speaking. I, I, but I, I just wonder how regular folk respond yeah. to this to suddenly having to sort of uh, suss out this Hawthornian, yeah. Henry Jamesian language. Well. Uh, you know, uh, I've, I've already professed my great admiration for Mencken, but I uh, part ways with him about this thing about, you know, no one ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public. Uh, I believe that people are capable, uh, so, so long as they are able to recognize the fundamental humanity of the character and the situation, I believe that people are hospitable to all forms of expression. The reason that some of the characters speak the way they do is that anyone who was book learned, uh, you know, they read mostly the Bible and Shakespeare and they read some of the Victorians. You know, they read Thackeray and 
Dickens and George Eliot and so on. And, and uh, to the extent that they did have book learning, their expression, their locution was complicated. Al Swearingen, who's the character who is the, the proprietor of the Gem Saloon and, and Brothel, played by Ian McShane, is, is really the breakout hero protagonist of the show. Before I ask you about him, let's hear a clip. Whiskey. Beer. I'm concerned he might be taking this provocation. Me serving his whiskey before you getting your beer or the very reversal of that. Just bring my whiskey. Fucking beer. And these others, they friends of yours coming on your heels? You friends of these boys, fellas? Should I be taking your orders all together? Was yours the fucking beer? I was the fucking whiskey. Right then. Right your fucking arm. Uh, that's Al Swearingen uh, and committing uh, an act of violence. Did you know that he, as you began producing episodes, would be the the great glorious star of the show? Well, you know, uh, I guess Milton kind of figured that Lucifer was going to get the best lines. <laughs> uh, and... and, and uh, simply because um, there's just more scope in that character. And, you know, it's harder but much more gratifying ultimately to learn to love uh, a character like that. And people like to go on journeys, and that's the best kind of journey to go on. I've read about your father, who sounds like uh, a fictional character himself. He was a surgeon, and he had uh, patients who were mobsters, and he beat you, and he people loved him, and and he he really sounds. Uh, and I did too. You did too. What? Love him. Did you? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, to the extent that you're making a connection between uh, Swearingen mm-hmm. and and my dad. Uh, it is the great uh, joy of my uh, imaginative life to make that journey myself, uh-huh. to be able to, do, because there was no moment uh, during the time when my dad was alive that uh, I didn't love him, no matter what was going on. And, and to be able to testify to the complexity of a personality uh, at such a level that he or she is always demonstrated as worthy of love, no matter what behavior he or she is engaging in, uh, is is the privilege of, of my professional life. Which which character in Deadwood do you feel most kindred to? I love them all, uh, and uh, uh, there. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day that there isn't a, there isn't an incidental character in Deadwood. Every every one of them uh, insists on a humanity as as complicated and for me as rewarding to imagine as as, as every other one. So I, I really don't I don't have any favorites. Is Deadwood the work you've done that you're proudest of? Uh, I, I this I I am not professing humility here, uh, but just uh, you know the need of uh, someone with as many character defects and bad habits as I have not to allow himself pride, you know, because 
uh, I start with pride and I end up under a bridge with three strangers that night, you know. So I, I, I don't let myself be proud. I just try and keep hitting the ball straight and do my work every day. David Milch, thank you very much for talking with us today. My pleasure. You can watch David Milch's Deadwood, the movie, as well as all 36 episodes of the series on HBO Go. And one last thing before we go. If you like listening to this podcast as much as we like making it, let other people know by rating us on iTunes. Not so much to flatter us. It actually helps other listeners discover Studio 360. Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 wherever you get podcasts. 